Uh, praise God. What a great morning of worship already since the presence of the Lord in this place, this beautiful day. So glad everybody's here this morning as we continue this series called Better Together. You know, as a family, uh, we love to do jigsaw puzzles. And I don't know where it started when our kids were young and we would put the puzzles together. And then, you know, as our kids got older, we kept kind of passing that down. And then this past Christmas, uh, somebody gave us uh, for Christmas, a Christmas present, a thousand piece puzzle, okay? Now this is a whole different level than like, you know, kid puzzles. And, and, but we thought, hey, it's the holidays, you know? And so on Christmas day, we spread this thing out on our kitchen table and thought, well, hey, we'll just put together this thousand piece puzzle. Now that was a little crazy, audacious goal here. And it took us all week. But it was fun because we were all working together as a family and we're working on this puzzle and we're putting the pieces together. And we finally, like by New Year's, we finished the puzzle and taken up our whole dining room table. And I thought we were done. But no, then somebody gave us another 750-piece puzzle. And so this one, we just finished. We were working on it the whole time. And here's how I am with puzzles, okay? I, I love doing it because I love being with my kids. I love being with my family. But after a little while, uh, I kind of get impatient, okay? So I'm taking a piece. I'm like, this piece goes here. Yeah, you know, and I'm jamming the piece in, right? The girls are like, Dad, it doesn't go there. I'm like, well, it kind of goes there. It looks like it goes there. They're like, Dad, you know, so we start laughing. And, and here's what I found, though, with jigsaw puzzles. Here's the biggest key to doing a jigsaw puzzle. It's this. It's the picture, okay? You got to have the picture. And we, when we dumped this thousand piece puzzle out on the table, I was just like, I was overwhelmed until I took the picture and I started looking at it. I was like, okay, now this starts to make sense. We can get the colors to go in the right places, but it takes time, but it takes having that picture of what it should look like. And the same is true for us. As believers, as followers of Christ, God's given us the picture for how we are called to live. Right? He sent his one and only son. And Jesus lived 33 sinless years on this earth. He died on the cross for our sins. Praise be to God. And then he conquered death because death couldn't hold him. Right? He conquered death and he is alive. But during that time on earth, God said, hey, I want you to see the picture. See, God has a goal for you. And your goal, my goal, is to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus. And when we come along and we try to force in anger or we try to force in greed and we're like, wait a minute, this doesn't work. And you're like, yeah, you're right. Because you and I should be looking more and more like Jesus. But God's also given us a picture of what the church should look like. God's given us a model. He says, hey, church, this isn't just some gathering that happens every now and then. This isn't just a place for a social meeting. This is the body of Christ. And I want to give you a picture of what it should be like. And so before Jesus ascends into heaven, he tells his disciples, listen, one greater than I will come. That's the Holy Spirit. And get ready. And sure enough, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes down, tongues of fire. Peter stands up and preaches and 3,000 people accept Christ. And the church comes alive. And here's the description in Acts chapter 2 of the early church. It tells us this. It says, they devoted themselves. You can read up here, right? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. So this is the model that we're to follow. Everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers, all the believers were together and had everything in common. I love this. Selling their possessions and goods 
They gave to anyone they had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And I love this last line. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so when you're there in Acts chapter 2, God's going, this is the picture for what the body of Christ, the church, should be. This is how you are called to live. Now in our series, we've talked about how we're called as a church to worship together. The early church, they met together in the temple courts. They had corporate worship which is so awesome and wonderful that we get to do this on Sunday mornings and our hearts are pointed to Christ and we kind of direct our week and dedicate to the Lord. But it also says they broke bread in homes. And so being in a community group, sharing life with other believers, so corporate worship, large group gatherings, small group gatherings, it says that they reached out together, right? They were, you know, leading other people to Christ. They were inviting people in. The church isn't some holy huddle. The church isn't some, you know, country club where it's just all about us. The church should be the hands and feet of Christ. So we ought to be involved in sharing Christ with those around us. It also talks about growing together. They were devoted to God's word. They were diving deeper in the truth and to prayer. You know, it says, hey, Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, corporate. But there's a secret one right in there that I want us to see. It's in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and it says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. To the fellowship. Now, fellowship doesn't get a lot of play as much today, right? Because fellowship, that word, it just seems like, ah, it's kind of watered down and, you know, fellowship. <laughs> Churches build a fellowship hall. Like you're supposed to go over there and fellowship, you know. You go fellowship, whatever that is, right? We're supposed to fellowship, yeah. You know, after a wedding, you got cake and nuts over in a fellowship hall. Or you got a potluck dinner that happens in fellowship hall. And fellowship happens in 30 minutes or an hour. But the Greek word there is koinonia. They devoted themselves to koinonia. And it literally means this. It means to share life together. It means to be with one another. It means to have a heart for one another. And I think as you look at this, this is kind of the secret sauce of that early church. It says, right, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They were with each other through the joys and the struggles. They were with each other through the good times in the hard times, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. They looked around. They said, hey, how can I encourage you? How can I help you? How can I strengthen you? It's not just about me, but I'm in this with you. And isn't that what our world wants today? Isn't that what our world needs? You know, it's been said that we are more connected than uh, ever before any other society, but we're also more alone than any society that's ever existed and technology, while it's so great, it has a way of isolating us. I read an article in the Washington Post by Melinda Gates, Bill Gates' wife, and she said, you know, I've been in technology all of my life, but I wasn't prepared for the effect that it was going to have on my kids. I wasn't prepared for what it was going to mean for them to grow up and wonder if they really did have friends, or what it was going to mean for them to grow up and really know how to be kind or to empathize with others. Or what it meant for them to grow up and not just think it was all about them and selfies that they post, but to really care for others. Jesus said it this way in John 13. He told his disciples, he said, guys, by this all men will know you are my disciples if, if you love one another. 
He says, if you love one another, the way you love each other communicates to the world that, hey, you are my disciples. You are followers of mine. And for us as the disciples and for us as the church today, our call is to love each other. And so that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to talk about what this means to fellowship or to share life together. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you up with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. New Testament, right? If you don't have a Bible, we've got some free Bibles for you in the back. We always dive into God's Word. I love God's Word. And uh, also, if you have a mobile device, you can access the Scriptures online or we'll put the Scripture on the screen. But I want you to see this because this is so powerful. So God gives us this model of the early church, right? And then as people would move or they would go to different places in the Roman Empire, they would plant churches. The Apostle Paul comes, Barnabas comes, and they're planting churches all over. So there's a church in Corinth, 1 and 2 Corinthians. There's a church in Colossae, Colossians. There's a church in Ephesus, Ephesians. There's a church in Philippi. And Paul's going, hey, look at the model. Look at what God's doing in the early church because this is the way you will impact the world for Christ. And so he comes here in Philippians chapter 2. And I think this is so beautiful because you see fellowship or sharing life together. God gives us this in order to first complete our joy. Look at chapter 2 verse 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship in the Spirit. So that word fellowship right there, we saw it in Acts chapter 2, koinonia. It's used 20 more times in the New Testament since it was first used in Acts chapter 2. And here we see this, fellowship with the Spirit. If you are involved, if you are a disciple, if you are connected to Christ, if you are growing in your faith, if you have fellowship with the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. One in spirit and purpose. Where did we see that? Acts chapter 2, right? So here's this church in Philippi. The Apostle Paul's going, hey guys, look, fellowship, share life together, be with one another, be honest, be authentic, walk with one another through good times and tough times. And Paul says in the process, you'll make your joy complete. I was with a a guy in our church the the other day, a couple weeks ago, and uh, we were out playing golf. There was eight of us, and he got a hole in one. All right, and we all went crazy, right? I mean, he threw his club in the air. We're running up. We're like chest bumping on the golf course, you know. I mean, all this. We didn't care, but it was so exciting. And I was so excited for him because I love this guy. He's one of my good friends. And, and he was pumped up. And we were so excited. And I thought, how different would that experience have been if he was by himself, right? You know, if he got a hole in one, I mean, he would have still been excited, but. But anybody believe him? I mean, anybody like, yeah, right, you know, sure, you know. But, but because we were all together, it was like, yeah. I mean, it couldn't have been any better. You couldn't have scripted it. And I think that's where our joy is complete. You know, I think that's what God wants us to do. And I see the Apostle Paul as he's investing in the church and he's watching them live it out. He just gets excited. You know, it's like you meet somebody and they just become a grandparent, you know, and they're like, Hey, hey, nice to meet you. You want to see my grandchild? You know, they're pulling out their phone and they're scrolling through. You know, there's something about when you share the joy that inside of you, it makes it more complete. When you get engaged or something good happens, your joy grows as you share life with other Christ followers. Your joy grows. It just does. It just happens. And I would encourage you, I would encourage you, if your joy is kind of waning, like, you know, you feel like life is kind of ho-hum and you're just kind of going, okay, Get involved in church. 
I'm serious. Get involved and be devoted, like it says in Acts 2, to other people. Because what happens then when good things happen in your life, you have people to celebrate with you. And when good things happen in their life, you have people to celebrate with them. I mean, it's making our joy complete. It's the way God designed it. And think about this. All the big joy moments of life really happen around the church. All the big joy moments of life really happen in community. Family dedications. I love family dedications here at Rolling Hills. If you've had a baby recently, a young child, and, and about four times a year on Sunday afternoon, and we'll have this special time of worship, and, and families bring their children, they come up on stage, and, and they're dedicating to the Lord. They're saying, God, you have given this child to us. And then they come down, and, and you watch grandparents or aunts or uncles, or you watch people from community group or from their small group come around and pray over them. And they make these circles. And I'm just standing up here, man. I just start to tear up. I'm like, wow, that's awesome. Because you have people who are walking with you. Baptisms. I love baptism. You know. Hey, if you've never been baptized, man, I'm telling you, it is such a statement of your faith. And people are baptized and they, they go under the water, die their whole life. They come up and they're just like, yeah, you know. And they turn around and they hug whoever's baptizing them. And everybody's at the glass or inside and they're cheering for them. These are these are the big moments of life, you guys. Weddings, that happens in church. It happens with community. It's people to celebrate with you. And I would even say this. Even funerals. And as hard as they are, I don't know how people make it without church or without community. Some of you may know, but this past week, uh, Laura Chapman, who's on our staff, her... Her dad went home to be with Jesus. And uh, it was a time of grief. But we were at the funeral on Thursday in Chattanooga, and it was also a time of celebration. I got to tell you, he was 87 years old, and he, and he did it right. And, and you're just looking at his wife, Sarah, for 54 years. He was married to his wife and loved his wife. And he has a great daughter, and Laura and Rick, his son and Brenda, they're involved in our Nolensville campus and their, their children. So his grandkids, and he was serving at church. He was always faithful. He was just loved church. He was a usher and he loved missions. And, and, and I just was there. And, and, and you know, you're grieving, but at the same time, you're like, good job. Because we all get one shot at life, okay? We all get one opportunity and, and to see somebody who just lived it. And I think all those big moments, right? And Lou, Laura's dad, when he opened his eyes, he saw Jesus. And I just think Jesus, full of joy, man, just wrapped his arms. Good job. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And God gives us this share life together because he knows, man, that makes our joy complete. The second reason is this, is that God gives us this so we grow stronger in our faith. We grow stronger in our faith. The Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Now, when iron sharpens iron, right, there's some sparks that fly, right? I mean, it's not always easy. And when you're in church and you're a community, we're all imperfect people, okay? And some people go to church, they're like, well, you know, a church, I mean, just, you know, it's just made up of people who aren't perfect and they let me down. They're like, right, well, we're all redeemed by the grace of God. We're all growing. If you're looking for a perfect church, this isn't it. But I want to tell you, that's how you grow. And when you're devoted to that, you make a commitment to that, and you walk with life, and you're invested, that's how you will grow. Fellowship is the strength that develops, not from social gatherings, 
but with a mission. <laughs> Not from social gathering. You could go from party to party to party, and people do it all the time. And they leave that party, and they're like, wow, that was so cool, man. And they can't wait for the next party. Because, because it's empty. They want, what's next? What's next? What's next? What's next? Because there's not a mission attached to that. But when you and I are part of a body and we have a calling, we have a mission. Think about the greatest team you've ever been a part of. Or maybe as a team at work, and you guys just, you accomplished something, man. You were invested in that. And it wasn't easy. Or think about a sports team. I grew up playing sports. And I mean, man, you're doing practices. You're doing two days. I mean, it's tough. But man, it's so exciting too. <laughs> And just that, that friendship, that relationship, you know? I mean, we all got on board with the Predators this year, right? And that run for the Stanley Cup Finals and, and watching those guys on the ice and they're like diving on the ice and they're making passes. When they would score, they would just hug each other. And they, they had a mission. We're gonna win. We're gonna go for it. We're gonna go together, man. Nobody left behind. We're in this thing together. And that's what church should be. We've got the greatest mission of all, to be the hands and feet of Christ in a world in need. Uh, this week, uh, a lady in our church, she sent me an email. Her daughter, who uh, is named Claudia, is a junior at Centennial High School. And here's this public high school. And we've watched Claudia grow up over the last three or four years since they've started coming here. And, and everybody at Centennial High School, all the juniors, uh, they had to write an essay called This I Believe. And so the mom sent me this email and she said, here's what my daughter wrote. Here's her essay, This I Believe. Claudia said, I believe this, the best is yet to come. I know this to be true. Jesus proclaims in John 16, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And then she writes about some of the hardships that she's gone through and some of the hardships that even her parents and some friends have gone through. And then she says, many of my friends, they look for happiness and worldly desires like money, fame, lust, and they come up short time after time because they've not been told the truth that I've heard. The best is yet to come. And, and that is why it is my mission, she says right here. That, that is why it's my mission and duty, along with my fellow believers, to be an aid in the redemptive story by sharing the good news. Knowing that I am fully capable in discipling others with the power of the Holy Spirit makes me beam. I, I cannot help but reach back to those who do not know God because I now have a moral obligation. I delight in seeing the transformation of a person when their knowledge of God becomes a relationship with him. I am in love with the simple truth that my Savior has already overcome this world and I am redeemed. As a junior in high school. And she's writing this through her school. That is why I smile through the heartbreaks life throws at me because I know my faith is being made stronger with them. I am unstoppable because of God's love for me is radical. I have faith that the best is yet to come because I know I hold citizenship in heaven and not in this world. I am just passing through, doing what I can to spread the all-powerful message, the best is yet to come. I was like, yeah. Way to go, girl. Junior in high school just saying, hey, I want to live it for God's glory. I encourage you, if you're a parent here and you have a child, preschool, child, you know, middle school, high school, make sure they're involved in family ministry. 
Make sure they're involved in student ministry. Find a place for them to be involved because we need each other. And especially as teenagers, it's so hard. It's a challenge. It's difficult. But to have leaders around them that are encouraging them, to have other students who are walking with the Lord and saying, hey, this is important. We all need that. And how important that is for our spiritual walk and spiritual life. The third reason I believe God wants us to share life together is this, to give encouragement to our souls. To give encouragement to our souls. Ecclesiastes says two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, the other can help him up. But pity the fool who falls down and has no one to help him up. I mean, you're like, oh, if you're alone, man, you have nobody there. Pity that man. But for all of us, we're not called to go through life alone. We're called to have other people to walk with us and to encourage us. And we all need that encouragement, don't we? Some of you, you're runners, you know? I've run a few, like 5Ks, 10Ks. Some of you have run these big races, Music City Marathon or Rock and Roll Marathon, whichever one, you know, you, you've run these. And you know, when you get tired, there's nothing like coming around that curve and people just cheering you on. There's nothing like you just, and you just get this shot of adrenaline, like, yeah, yeah, we all need people cheering us on. Life is hard. Life is a challenge. And we need each other. That's why God put us in community. If you ever have time, do a, do, just do a study. Go through the New Testament and start looking at all the one another's. Look at all the one another's. Koinonia is expressed in one another's. And look at some of these. I just went through and found a few, right? The Bible says, be devoted to one another, honor one another, live in harmony with one another, serve one another, accept one another, be compassionate to one another, admonish one another, encourage one another, spur on one another, offer hospitality to one another, and love one another. One another, one another, one another. That's how life is called to be lived. And when life gets hard, many times people withdraw and they pull back instead of saying, hey, listen, this is what's really going on. I remember Lisa and I, after we got married, you know, we kind of had this timetable for when we wanted to have kids. And, um, and grace came right on time, you know, like right at our timetable. We got pregnant and it was great. We just thought, hey, this is so easy, you know, it just kind of happens this way. And, and then we thought, okay, it's time to have a second. And we were trying and Lisa couldn't get pregnant. And at first we're like, oh, okay, it's taking a little longer than we thought, you know, and we didn't know how that was all going to play out. And then after a little while, we're like, wow, this is hard. This is tough. And I remember praying and just saying, God, you know, are you here? Do, do you want us to have a child? I, mean, what, I, don't, I don't understand. And even in our marriage, I mean, it was something we had to pray through. We, we talked through together. But during that time, we also opened up and said, hey, this is what we're going through. And I didn't realize how many people at church were, were struggling with the same thing that, that we were. And we found such encouragement for people coming and saying, hey, we're praying for you. We're praying with you. Or, hey, here's this scripture verse, or here's this book that I read, or here's this. And it meant so much to us. And then in God's timing, right, we had Mabry, our second child. And we always realize now, you know, it's not our timing, it's God's timing. It's a miracle when he decides. And we're going to trust him in that. I remember last year when my dad went home to be with Jesus and just how the church came around us to walk with us and to encourage us. And I often think about this. How in the world do people make it in life without Christ? I mean, where's the hope? 
But how do people make it without church? And when times are hard, you can pull back and you can isolate, and many people do, and you feel more and more lonely and you just go on a downward slope. But it's in the hard times that you just open up and say, hey, listen, this is what we're going through. This is what we're struggling with. And what you find is encouragement to your soul. What you find is a God who is with you and you find a depth of love that you really never knew. You find community because we're in this together. The fourth reason I believe God gives us this sheer life together is this, to hold us accountable, to hold us accountable for how we live. If you keep going in Philippians 2, the Apostle Paul writes and says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Now, how many times do we do that, you know? What's gonna benefit me? But he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. It's like each of you should be involved in other people's lives. We need people in our lives. And we need to be those people for one another. Do you, do you realize that the people who really love you are the ones who will tell you no? Think about it. The people who really love you are the ones who will tell you no. You know, your wife will say, no, don't wear that. No, 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 no. <laughs> you know, your friends are gonna tell you, don't date him. Nope, don't, don't do it, right? Your parents are gonna say, don't buy that, right? You don't need that expensive car. You don't need to do that. Don't do it. It's a depreciable asset. You know, your parents are gonna tell you no, but it's the people in your life who will tell you no. The world's gonna tell you yes. The world's gonna say, buy it, smoke it, drink it, do whatever, right? Because the world wants you to spend their money. You know, you just like, they want you to be a part of that. It's the people who love you who are gonna say, no, no, no. We need accountability in our lives, don't we? I need accountability. We all need that. I was blessed in high school to have some great friends. And, you know, we played sports together, but we all went to church together. And, and these guys would be at different schools and we would have different activities, but, but there was an accountability there. I mean, if, if one of us started, like, you know, cussing or doing something, they would go, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, man, nuh-uh. You don't need to be doing that. You know, here's the model. This, you're supposed to be looking like Jesus and that's not right. We need that in our lives. We need community. We need people. That's why we offer men's Bible studies and MLN. That's why we offer, you know, women's studies. That's why we offer marriage classes. We have a great marriage classes coming up called Built to Last. And to be there with other couples, that's why we offer counseling or parenting classes or or FPU, you know, Financial Peace University, because we need people to walk with us, to hold us accountable. And when you don't have that, right, you just drift off into the way of the world. You just drift off and just kind of follow what everybody else is doing. You need people who will speak truth to you. God knew that. The church knew that. Here's the fifth thing is this. God gives us this in order for us to fulfill our purpose in Christ. You can't fulfill your purpose in Christ alone. You can't. Spiritual growth happens in community. Jesus took 12 disciples. He didn't just spend one-on-one -on -one time. He spent a group. It happens in community. Jesus said the most important commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. We can't fulfill that purpose in Christ alone. We need other people. We need people around us. And so God gives us church. And throughout the centuries, you've seen how the church, 
loving God and loving each other has been a magnet. It's transformed society. And for you to fulfill your purpose in Christ, you need to lock arms with other believers. This summer, we did a mission trip to uh, Moldova. Uh, as a church, we've been going to Moldova since 2003 and working with orphans there. And uh, about six or seven years ago, we started Justice and Mercy International and, and working um, there in Moldova and now in South Africa and in the Amazon. But when we were in Moldova this year, we did a pastor's conference. And so we had 27 pastors and their wives come from all over. And we met at this little conference center. We rented out this conference center in Chisinau. And, you know, Moldova's between the Ukraine and Romania the poorest, smallest country in the former Soviet Union. And so we have this little conference center. It's about 30 hotel rooms. And they have a little meeting room, dining room area where we would meet. And these pastors were incredible. They just love Jesus. And, and their, their, their churches are growing. And it's so exciting there. But the last night we were there, we had a closing worship time the next day. And the last night, in the middle of the night, about 2.30, I heard English and I heard guy voices speaking English. And I'm thinking, who, what? You know, we're in Moldova. It's all Romanian and Russian. And, and yet I'm hearing this English. But I was too tired to do anything about it. So I just went back to sleep. I thought, well, we'll figure it out, you know. And in the morning, I went down. I saw the innkeeper and a guy named Savo. And I said, hey, Savo, uh, last night I heard these guys, you know, and they were speaking English. He goes, oh, yeah, there's some other people here. And I said, well, who's that? And he goes, it's the U.S. Army. I go, what? He goes, yeah, it's the U.S. Army. He said, there's eight of them and they've rented out the entire conference center for the next 30 days. And I said, just eight of them? He goes, oh yeah. And I said, well, are they here? And he goes, well, three of them got in last night. And I said, well, where are they? And uh, he said, they're over there in that room. They're eating breakfast. I go, cool. All right, I'm gonna go check this out, you know? So I go over there and Kelly Mentor, Mary Catherine, Steve Davis, some of our people, we, we just said, hey, let's go over there. So I knocked on the door, opened the door, and there were the three of the biggest guys I've ever seen in my life, all right? I mean, these dudes were like jacked. And they all stood up. And I was like, whoa. Hey, same team, American, right here, you know. Just want you to know that, you know, right here, you know. And I was like, wow, what are you guys doing here? And they said, well, what are you guys doing here? And I said, well, you know, we work with orphans. And we're doing this pastor's conference. And we've been working in all these orphanages. And, uh, and, and they said, wow, that, that's amazing. And I said, well, what are you guys doing here? And they said, well, uh, we're Green Berets. And uh, we are kind of special forces. We've been going around and we've been training special forces. We were in Syria for a month. Then we were in Afghanistan a month. And now we're here in Moldova. And we're training the special forces of Moldova. And I was like, I didn't even know they had special forces in Moldova. But they said, yeah, the Moldovan scorpions. And I was like, wow. And they said, well, with Russia coming into Ukraine, we're just making sure that the country's ready. And I said, okay. And uh, I was like talking to these guys and after a while. And I said, well, guys, I just want to thank you for your service. It was around July 4th. And I want to thank you for the difference, you know, you guys make. And just being an American, I want to say thank you to you. And their commander guy kind of stepped forward. He was a big guy. And he looked at me and he said, you know what? You don't need to thank us. We need to be thanking you. He said, because of what? Your church back in Tennessee is doing and what's happening here. I said, I've read a lot about the sex trafficking that's happened with these orphans. And I just realized that it's not going to be us that's going to fix it. It's going to have to make a difference. And what you guys are doing is really making a difference. And I walked out of that room and I thought, you know, I think he's right. <laughs> I mean, there's war after war that's been fought. Lives after lives that have died. 
And in this world today, people need love. In this world today, people need Christ. In this world today, people need hope. And where are they going to find that? It's the church. And it's you and it's me. And God has called us and given us the greatest mission of all that in our time and whatever days we have on this earth, that we live it for his name, that we live it for his glory, and that we don't miss it. And guys, we owe one another a loyalty to encourage one another and strengthen one another and to be biblical community, to share life together. You know, one of the most beautiful pictures of koinonia, I think, in all of scripture is this. It's communion. Sharing the Lord's Supper. And to think how churches through all generations, through all generations of history, through battles that have been fought and wars, and and yet churches have come together and they've broken bread together and united together and they've prayed together. And over time, God's changing the world. And through the church, it's started schools and hospice and hospitals. Through the church, have started soup kitchens and places to minister to the poor and the broken. It's the church. And so this morning, we have the opportunity to join with churches that have gone on before us and to come to the table. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he brought his disciples together and he says, guys, I'm entrusting you with a message of hope. I'm entrusting you with a message of life. And he took bread, and after he'd given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body broken for you. And after supper, he took the cup. He said, this is the new covenant of my blood poured out for you. Take and drink in remembrance of me. And so this morning, we have the opportunity to come to his table. There are six tables that are set up. I'm going to invite some of our A6 guys and some of their spouses to come to the table. There's a gluten-free table over here. There's two tables on the sides, two tables in the middle, two tables in the back. But they're going to be there at the tables to serve you because we're better together and because you're not alone. And when you come to the table, I want to ask you to do this. Break off a piece of the bread, Christ's body broken for you, and think about the sacrifice that Christ made for you. To dip into the cup, his blood poured out for you, and, and to receive what only God can do. And then I want you to think about this. Think about that we are the church. And maybe God's speaking to your heart today and saying, hey, it's time for you to commit. God's drawing you to himself and inviting you to make your commitment to Christ. Maybe today, right now, Jesus, I'm yours. I'm tired of living for myself. I want to live for you. Maybe God's speaking to you about being baptized and making that public declaration. Maybe God's speaking to you about joining the church and locking arms with other believers and saying, hey, I'm in this with you, man. I'm in this together. Maybe God's speaking to you about community or prayer. I don't know. But I know that what we have is special because of the grace of God. And I know that we desperately need each other to be all that God desires. And so, Father, thank you. Thank you, God, for this holy moment, this time that come to your table and to realize what you have done for us. Your body, Jesus, broken for us. That should have been us who paid the price 
For the wages of sin is death, and yet, Jesus, you took our place. And so we come with grateful hearts today, thanking you that we're not under the old covenant. There's a new covenant of grace. And we also come today to make a commitment to be your church, your body, the bride of Christ. And Father, I pray that you would find us faithful. I pray that we would worship together, that we would reach out together, grow together, that we would share life together. So draw us close to your heart this morning. Help us to be devoted to what's important to you. And to you, oh Lord, we commit. We love you. And we dedicate this time. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You're invited to come to his table.